Welcome to the Money Rules Podcast, where we tackle your personal financial matters with leading financial advisors. Your host, we do With rising unemployment and the increasing number of people working from home, gig workers have become an integral part of our workforce. However, without the safety net of permanent employment, they can often face limited employee protection and benefits, making financial planning essential to their success. To shed light on this crucial topic, we're joined by Gareth Collier, who is a certified financial planner at Crew Invest. He will share valuable insights and practical tips for navigating the freelance and independent contractor world. Welcome, Gareth. Thank you very much, Jimmy. Gareth, can you explain what the gig economy entails and how it has been impacted by recent events? Yeah, Timmy. So I think the first thing is to to understand what that gig economy is. And it, it really talks to the characteristic of being sort of a work on demand where work activities and demand are sort of matched online. So I think a frequent sort of misconception is, is that, you know, there's a gig economy and there's also these freelancers, which is maybe a more traditional kind of thought around, you know, when you engage with work and you are a freelancer, uh, what will often happen is you will you will contract with someone in terms of doing a set amount of work for a period of time. And that actually creates a bit of an employee-employer um, relationship for that period of time. Uh, the difference with your gig economy is that invariably people are providing a service or work where it's needed as and when it's needed. And they're doing that via platforms, typically online, which are providing a, a space for people who need these these activities fulfilled and people who are willing to fulfill these activities. You know, so, so typically it will be somebody needs to get somewhere, they will use an e-hailing platform and a, and a driver can come and collect them, take them where they need to go. Possibly you need some like domestic work done at home uh, for a particular day. You know, there's a platform that you can engage with on that. And this is expanding, you know, we're seeing services, the likes of, uh, you know, food and catering. People who are trained chefs can can go onto certain platforms. And if you're having a, you know, maybe a special dinner party at home or a big birthday celebration, that person can come in and maybe prepare a nice meal for that event. That would kind of fall under the, the spectrum of a gig economy where you're not really going to have a explicit contract with that person, um, you're, ba- you're explicitly paying them for the work that they're there to do on the day that, they, that they're there to do it. If you look at how recent events have played out, you know, and you, you take how these, you know, work on demand situations are, are, are taken, particularly with, you know, in the last sort of 18 months with, with rise in interest rates, it's, it's putting pressure on people uh, to manage budgets and costs. Uh, so a lot of the work that's provided on these platforms is very sort of discretionary. People can choose to engage with it or not. And you might find that, you know, personal needs and cash flow restrictions are kind of, you know, maybe hemming in what they are able to engage on the services, which obviously directs the, the, the people who work in that gig economy space to provide that work to those, to those individuals. For gig workers who are just starting out, what advice do you have for them in terms of choosing the right business entity? Yeah, look, I think that talks to what we explained in the first question now that, you know, when you would look to set up a business entity, that's naturally, if you're, if you're going to start working as a, as a, as a gig worker, you, you're going to be a uh, somebody who's, who's self-employed and therefore, you know, you and your business are pretty much indistinguishable because you're just operating in your personal capacity. If that grows to a certain point uh, where you can maybe provide a slightly more formal service or more organized service, possibly, let's say you're in the 
e-hailing space and you are growing from just you and your your single vehicle to maybe being able to afford to employ a few people providing additional vehicles and you coordinating those rides you know you may want to to engage in sort of like a small business or a private business entity but until that point you know it's going to primarily sort of lean more towards the simply just the self-employed individual and how important is it for gig workers to keep their personal and business finances separate yeah, look, I think uh, whether you're a gig worker or anybody who's a who's a business owner or an entrepreneur, uh, keeping those those financial aspects separate is is vital. You know, we all maybe fall into the trap of possibly receiving revenue and then, you know, not having a separation between what you need to possibly hold back as business expenses or costs or fees that you need to pay over, taxes in particular, versus what you need in your personal and your family day-to-day life, um, you know, to provide a certain lifestyle. So so keeping those two is a, is a vital first step right from day one when you get going. And what steps should they take to maintain the separation? Well, I think you can use very simple practical steps. So something as simple as setting up a separate bank account that all of your, your payments will be going into. Remember, when you're in that gig economy space, uh, what actually happens is that you are invoicing the, the end user, the client directly. They're actually paying you. And part of that payment is then being used to pay as a fee or a commission or something like that to the platform. So so that's where you see that the relationships actually between yourself and the and the person that you're engaging with and the platform is merely facilitating that. And because they are going to be paying you directly, you obviously have the ability to kind of set up a separate account that receives all of those payments. And then you can make sure that you you understand, well, what is available in my business? Because you've got to view it as that. And what is available in my personal capacity? And of course, you've got to make sure that there's there's money in your business account, you know, not just to pay the things you have to pay, the likes of fees and taxes, but also, you know, again, if you kind of a a driver, maybe your car needs maintenance or a breakdown, emergency costs, that sort of thing, um, you want to make sure there's some cash within that space to, to take care of those things. What costs and overheads should gig workers consider when creating their financial plan? Yeah, I think we've spoken to a good number of those in terms of probably primarily uh, tax. Uh, we see this a lot of the time. People kind of, you know, are maybe not aware or, or fully kind of guided in terms of what, what tax they'd be liable to pay, depending on what entity they, they're operating under. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, making sure that they're aware of what, what those obligations are going to be. Um, Depending on the size of the business, you know, you may need to engage with an accounting firm to to help you with tax returns, uh, like a tax practitioner. There's kind of fees and costs involved there, um, you know, and and then the other more practical things, you know, the 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 bank charges, um, the the simple costs. Have a budget to make sure what it costs to to run your business. You know, again, if you kind of if you if you're driving vehicles, there's 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 running costs, maintenance costs. Um, depending on the level of service, if you if you're providing domestic work, maybe you know maybe you need to provide your own cleaning products if you're in that kind of chefing space obviously there's a cost to to providing the the ingredients and the time and the the equipment that you're going to need to to provide for all of that so anything kind of production related to your to your line of work that you're doing should be factored in uh, when you're drawing up your your business and financial plan Gareth you mentioned tax quite a few times could you maybe just delve into that and tell us how it affects the gig workers tax affairs yeah, so I think typically if you are operating just as an individual and all of that income and revenue, um, you know, is going to be taxed 
described as 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 pay as you earn, P A Y E, less any of those costs that you that you involve. So so if we look at your 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 tax situation, the way SARS would view you is that you and your business are, are one and the same, right? You might keep separate bank accounts, but but in terms of your tax affairs, they they see you as a single entity. So that's why it becomes so important to make sure that you are keeping proper records of all of your your other costs that you're incurring. Because remember, those things can be used as deductions in what they call the production of income when you are doing your tax return. If you don't have proof of those, you know, you're going to have this uh, sort of a, a paper trail of revenue. But if you haven't got a record of those expenses, you might sort of inadvertently overinflate your, your tax liability um, just from poor record keeping. Managing multiple income streams can be complex for freelancers. What strategies can they employ to effectively handle this aspect of their financial lives? Yeah, so I think we've we've touched on the, the most practical one would be would be separate bank accounts. <laughs> Maybe taking it a step further, I think what a lot of people have, have experienced in the past, even sort of the more traditional workers, maybe like a commission-based uh, worker, it's very similar to a gig worker where their, their income stream is not very like stable, it can be quite lumpy, it can be up and down. Um, so a good technique there is to kind of look at what your look at first look at what your your living costs are going to be and and start with that. So if you're sitting with a certain amount of income in your in your say your business bank account, uh, you know try have the discipline not to draw more than maybe what you what you need to live on. It, in fact, like a self-imposed salary, just to make sure you manage your your cash flow month to month because you know you don't want to have a month where you've been particularly busy because you don't know what the next month holds and you land up overspending and then you haven't provided for maybe a slightly leaner month. Um, that tends to be a very, very good way to, to bring some stability to your personal income where your business revenue can be a little bit up and down. Just staying on the effects of fluctuating income, how can gig workers build emergency funds as a buffer against that? Yeah, again, so I think there are specific uh, types of, of, of accounts you can use. So in your banking space, your, your typical money market account or maybe even a, like an access deposit, maybe with a seven-day wait call period or something like that. Just cash that you can have on hand that's available for, for any kind of surprise emergency expenses. You know, and, and, and when you're holding money in that space, you know, it's it's not about sort of, oh, if I did X, Y, and Z, or if I invested that money here, I could possibly make more. Really, the the value and the return that you get out of that is by not having to go into debt and credit to, to cover that emergency expense rather than what else you could have done with that funding. So basically, being by being able to self-fund through those accessible sort of more cash-based um, savings rather than investments, you Put yourself in a position that if these things do arise, you're going to be uh, able to to cover those. Gareth, what types of personal insurance policies should gig workers consider and how can they ensure they are adequately covered? Yeah, this is a very challenging one. I think because we've we've referenced it earlier, you know, because there's no real employer-employee relationship uh, with a gig worker, it's very difficult for an insurance company to to objectively look at that as an occupation because, you know, today you might be doing e-hailing, tomorrow you might be, you know, providing some sort of other domestic service or something like that. So when it comes to insurance, um, typically you would want to be able to, to cover your income. 
And, you know, if your if your income is varying, if it is, you know, very difficult to determine what your occupation is, what do you do to generate that that income? Uh, you know, an insurer is going to find it difficult to insure you against that. So it, it tends to rule out the likes of an income protection, which would be the, the ideal starting point. However, what you could look at doing is, is providing what they call impairment cover. So what that what that means is rather than being a occupation-based um, insurance, it more looks at your physical body. Typically, a lot of the gig work is, you know, you need to be physically capable in a lot of the instances. And if you were left in a position where you are physically disabled or impaired in a certain manner, you know, there, there might be a full or partial payment of a, of a lump sum of cash that can kind of help protect against future loss of earnings. but unfortunately, sort of the the ideal would be the income protection. So the so the real danger is that if you are if you're unable to work on a temporary basis, there's no sort of easy solution to protect yourself against that at the moment. And retirement planning can be challenging for gig workers without the benefits of a group retirement fund. What options do they have for saving towards retirement, and how can they make the most of their contributions? Yeah, so I think uh, looking at your earnings, obviously, once you once you get into an earnings level where you're actually paying tax, uh, your best option is to is to look at the personal retirement annuity. That's obviously an investment vehicle that's specifically designed for for um, generating uh, capital for retirement earnings one day, uh, as well as those contributions being sort of largely tax deductible. Um, but you know, th- those always come with sort of a, a you know you've got to be balanced in your approach there. Because obviously the money you put in those uh, investment accounts is inaccessible until retirement, and we've kind of already looked at the, you know, the, the challenges around sort of the, the the infrequency of 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 income, good and bad months in in the gig space. Um, Having said that, if you do have the likes of a retirement annuity, uni- using a, a Unitrust platform is obviously ideal, purely because th- those investment accounts, um, should you need to stop your monthly contributions, they, they don't charge you any penalties or, or admin fees or anything like that for doing so. If you need to kind of put it on hold and only pick it up again six months later, you can do that. Maybe you don't return to the a debit order structure. You might actually only go to an ad hoc. So as you generate some income, you've got an extra 5,000 Rand. You can you can just transfer that in at any at any point. Um, so that flexibility becomes really, really valuable. The other way to do it is if you're not sort of sitting in a, in a tax paying space, the, the tax-free investment accounts also work really, really well. Those, of course, require quite a bit of self-discipline because you get the same sort of tax-free growth in that investment as you would in a retirement annuity. But the, the, the flip side of it is that the contributions aren't tax deductible, but the money is always freely available. So it is a discretionary investment. So you need to be quite self-disciplined in that if you are investing there with the intention of using that money for a long-term retirement one day, um, you don't access it. But there's always the safety net that if you know life doesn't happen in a straight line and if something very unforeseen happens and you simply don't have the emergency funding in place, at you know at the very least at least we've got the backup to know that we can access that at any point if it if it becomes desperately needed. Gareth, as we wrap up, are there any last words of advice you'd like to share with gig workers? 
Yeah, I think just uh, kind of be very, very aware of the terms and conditions on the on the platforms that you engage with. Obviously, they can be wonderful, useful uh, places to go and find work from, but just make sure that you you take the time to to read the terms and conditions, understand what it is that you're going to be engaging with, and you know also never be afraid to to look for alternatives. I think that's probably the the key. One of the benefits of being in a gig working space is the freedom and the flexibility, and you know, don't don't get too stuck in in, in ways of doing things just because that's how you've done it before. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode, Gareth. No, it's a pleasure. Always a pleasure to be here. That was Gareth Collier, who is a certified financial planner at Crew Invest. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Money Rules Podcast. To listen to more, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates. Money Rules. MoneyWeb. Money. Your trusted source for business and investment insights.